Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Tearsheet Editor-in-Chief, Zach Miller. The following was produced by Tearsheet Studios. We worked with crypto brokerage Paxos to create a podcast series about the mainstreaming of crypto, the genesis of Paxos, the rise of stablecoins, and crypto's energy and environmental impact. We've reached a point in history where there are no longer two distinct financial systems, the incumbent financial system and the world of blockchain and cryptocurrencies. Some of the most popular fintech apps, like PayPal, Revolut, and Venmo, have introduced access to crypto. Many of the largest banks have plans to offer crypto trading to their clients. And credit card companies are making it easier to convert crypto to fiat at the point of purchase. We call this the mainstreaming of crypto. My name is Charles Cascarella. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Paxos. Paxos is a crypto and blockchain financial market infrastructure firm. Some of the big names in the industry pivoted from successful track records in parallel fields, while others matriculated right out of the classroom. But very few can say they've known that they wanted to innovate the financial world from childhood. With his first stock investment at only 10 years old, Charles is among those few. You know, it was uh, something actually my grandmother uh, told me about, uh, believe it or not. And um, I'm from Cleveland, and there was a lot of uh, uh, public companies, including one that just came out of bankruptcy, LTV Steel. And I remember buying my first share of stock when uh, it came out of bankruptcy because I thought uh, it would be a, a great company to support. Um, now, this was back in the uh, early 80s. Uh, so that was a long time ago. Uh, but what it really cemented for me was a real fascination with how the financial system worked and how ownership worked and the way in which um, you could participate, um, even in small amounts, in the financial markets. Fast forward a couple decades, that worldview would manifest itself into a diverse career as an investor. Cascarilla has a keen sense of the possibilities of the new technological age and a passion for the social and psychological mechanisms of market trends. Combined with a track record as an asset manager, it was only natural that Cascarilla would find himself at the forefront of crypto and blockchain innovation. I think what it really cemented for me um, was an interest in being an investor and just a fascination with different types of businesses, um, the ways in which technology and um, uh, companies and management teams were able to uh, create whole new businesses and to um, uh, really create things that were transformative. I was growing up an interesting time because the internet was just beginning and computers were just uh, starting to exist in a, in a personal sense, um, uh, in a retail sense. And um, uh, I knew that I wanted to be an investor. And I thought what was so interesting about being an investor is that it's a really polymathic uh, skill set. Um, it's a lot more than just about knowing numbers. It's about understanding, in some sense, social psychology, uh, your own um, uh, mental uh, psychology, uh, because there's such a behavioral aspect uh, to what you're doing. Uh, markets are dynamic. I really went to Wall Street um, after I graduated, and it was meant to be a way to move into being an investor on a professional basis. And, and that's actually what happened. And um, I started um, really at Goldman uh, covering public companies, a lot of them financial services companies, but then started um, working uh, afterwards as an investor. And I was an investor, also started my own asset manager to become an investor. And so really focusing on financial services companies and the financial system. 
And, um, and that was an unexpected twist for me. I really thought that I would spend most of my time looking at technology firms. Uh, that's what had really captured my imagination. Uh, but uh, at Goldman, you kind of get put into certain groups and I developed an expertise in financial companies. And I think actually, in some sense, that was really a great blessing because it's then allowed me to marry those two together in uh, thinking about how financial services would change over time and financial markets could change and eventually leading into crypto and blockchain. The important role of crypto for the present and future of financial ecosystems is a mainstream opinion today, but it wasn't always like this. The industry players who saw the potential in blockchain a decade back are the ones who understood the underlying dysfunctions in the financial systems as they were at that point in time. Then going into the financial crisis, what we saw was that the plumbing of the financial system was exacerbated by the fact that um, it was so old and archaic. And that made the crisis so much worse than it needed to be. And in fact, in some ways, it was um, more than just a contributing factor of the crisis. It was even a cause of the, of the crisis because it was impossible to know all the risks in the system. Um, from a regulatory perspective, or even by market participants, because it was so opaque in the middle and back office. And even coming out of the crisis, we saw this problem where there was a robo-signing issue and MERS issues around um, how home mortgages were being executed. And um, all of this led to a slower recovery and a lot of inefficiencies. And when we came across Bitcoin and blockchain, it was very early days, May of 2010, I immediately gravitated towards it because I saw the blockchain technology as a solution to those plumbing problems. And specifically, I could see how it solved who owns what, when. Very important in financial services um, and financial markets. That's mainly because ultimately it's allowing information to be able to move around, but yet be universally accessible. And so essentially what happens is anybody can join it but nobody controls it, yet it's cryptographically secure. A really huge innovation. And because I came from financial services, I, of course, saw a solution to those problems. And we began to think, how could we take this technology and um, apply it to the problems that we know? And that's what led us to start Paxos. With Bitcoin and many altcoins currently down by 50%, it's clearer than ever that there's a lot of volatility in the space. Cascarilla offers a big picture view behind some of the dramatic price corrections and why the only constant we can confidently expect is change. You know, when you talk about what is the price of crypto doing, you have to think about what does each one represent now? And so I think that's a really interesting development from the early days when it was just Bitcoin and that was the only uh, blockchain and that was the only crypto to today. Um, it is a much wider type of asset class than it has ever been before. And so you have different types of uh, crypto assets representing different things. And so certainly the asset class moves in tandem and is moving in general uh, lockstep. You know, Bitcoin goes up and all the crypto uh, universe is going up. Bitcoin goes down, all the other crypto universe is going down. We've had a huge price run up and a big pullback as well, uh, more than 50%. Um, and um, I think that's just what you have to expect in an early asset class like this, where there are so many different things that are being represented by it. They're being created, 
they're being tried, some are being discarded, some are being adopted. And um, uh, that means uh, ones that maybe have a more mature base like uh, Bitcoin will be less volatile um, on the upside and the downside. Um, but ultimately, all of them are still in very early stages here. Um, I think there's really credible arguments, for instance, why Bitcoin could be worth 10 or $20 trillion. Doesn't mean it will, uh, but it could. That means there's still a huge amount of upside. There's plenty of talk about the volatility in the space. But one thing is for certain. Crypto is not going anywhere. It's graduating from the early adopter stage and making its way onto the main stage, front and center. And the big players in the financial industry are catching up. Many large firms have had uh, the PayPal moment, which is that they were afraid before and they were afraid after. Uh, the difference is uh, before they were afraid to be first, now they're afraid to be left behind. And that's because PayPal is the fifth largest financial institution, at least by market cap right now. And um, uh, their um, uh, entry into the space makes it clear that you're hitting a mainstream adoption curve. And so this is a key point. Early adopter community, it's small. It could be maybe be ignored. You could wait until something happens. And that thing happened, which was PayPal. And by the way, that's not to take anything away from Robinhood or SoFi or Square um, or Revolut, uh, which are all large um, fintech firms, but um, not maybe mainstream in the same sense as PayPal and Venmo are. And that shift uh, to them coming into the space, which we powered, um, I think really uh, set off a moment of you're at a mainstream adoption curve, still early stages, but you've gone from an industry that maybe had tens of millions of users to now having hundreds and hundreds of millions of users on the way to billions and billions of users. And potentially, I think everybody um, in the next 18 to 24 months. And I mean, everybody, meaning globally, you're going to have uh, ready access through some service provider to be able to buy, sell, hold, transfer uh, crypto. Uh, that's a huge, unbelievable shift that's happening. This past year, the largest financial institutions finally realized that incorporating crypto buying, selling, and holding into their offerings will not only keep them relevant, but connected to what their customers want. Yet creating the infrastructure to do that in a highly regulated and reliable fashion is no small feat. The question is whether they are better off building it themselves or partnering with a service provider. What we found is um, that firms really um, want to move fast. And that need to move fast and um, that fear in some sense of not being able to maintain parity with your competitors, which I think is very real and very valid, means they want to necessarily not build it themselves. They want to rely on a service provider who can move fast, who specializes in infrastructure. And also it means that they have to spend um, uh, time uh, thinking about um, what processes they want to have internally versus externally. Where can they be really great? Where can they put their scarce resources to best use? And where can they rely on somebody who will give them leverage? And I think by and large in financial services, there's a sense of the infrastructure layer being a common good, a utility good that you rely on um, external providers for. Examples being certain exchanges, there are clearing corps, other money movement, movement facilities like ACH, or uh, Fedwire, or et cetera, you can go on, that are a common good that are regularly used by 
uh, large participants because in financial services, there's a lot of different types of firms that users can go to. Meaning there's a JP Morgan or there's a Bank America, or you can go to a SoFi or a Revolut or whatever it might be. And so there are so many different types of providers out there, yet they need to be able to have a common way of being able to um, uh, build and move and be able to do it quickly. And that's where Paxos comes in. So this mainstream adoption shift is about how do you uh, move fast? How do you make it commonly available? How do you do it in a highly reliable and secure way? And Paxos is exactly about that. We have spent the last seven years building a regulatory stack that gives us approvals to hold many different types of assets, uh, but to be able to move and hold in in a regulated way and to do it in a trust company, which is actually safer than a bank. So we're deliberately set up as an infrastructure firm, as a trust company, which is a special bank where you don't make loans, you don't take deposits. You only hold client assets bankruptcy remote, fully segregated. That regulatory wrapper around our business is very, very important because it creates confidence for our customers to use us. And what we marry with that regulatory wrapper is our infrastructural platform. And so there's lots of infrastructure and lots of industries. You can think of AWS or you can go across uh, and look at other analogs and other places. What's different in financial services is that infrastructure needs to be regulated in a very reliable way. And that's what we've done from the very beginning. Ask for permission, not for forgiveness. And that is what is enabling um, many large firms to come in to work with us. And we're going to have some exciting announcements in the back half of this year that I think will uh, be of a scale similar to PayPal. Some of the biggest financial institutions, PayPal, Venmo, Revolut, chose to forego building the infrastructure themselves and instead power their crypto offerings with Paxos. Cascarilla shares some of the key insights Paxos walks away with after helping them launch their crypto products in the U.S. They're all really excited to get into the space. They recognize that it's the future. Um, And they recognize that there's a convergence of different types of financial activity into one common wallet. And I think that means that crypto is something they're excited about but it's not the only thing they're thinking about. They're trying to think about what is the strategic journey this is laying out here. And so a common um, uh, thought exercise I I give to people is imagine not just crypto, uh, which is native to a blockchain, is accessible um, in your app uh, or in your phone, but any asset is put on a blockchain and now available. Everything that you have. Um, and that's an enormous amount of assets, by the way. Globally, there's $700 trillion of assets. There's only $1.4 trillion or $1.5 trillion of crypto. How, you know, how does the world change? How does the financial system change if, if it existed in that format? And um, how could you con- uh, converge your uh, offering to your customers as one of these companies? How do you converge your offering uh, to create the most amount of utility and the most amount of capture of the financial life of a person. And that's very complex to do today because there are so many different backends you have to build in order to make stock trading available versus uh, money movement available versus being able to hold commodities or real estate or collectibles. And it's very um, uh, operationally intensive. But if those assets were sitting on a blockchain, that starts to really go away. And so that is the vision that um, we believe is going to come to fruition. 
But increasingly, we see amongst um, a lot of these large financial institutions, they see this convergence happening, and they're trying to figure out how do we make sure that our product offering today um, is relevant for our customers in a world where you can get almost anything at the click of a button, but not from a financial perspective. How do you, you know, really address that in a way that keeps you relevant as we move through the next five or 10 years of, I think, some really significant shifts, the likes of which we saw, for instance, in e-commerce and advertising and media um, starting, you know, in the mid 2000s. Fast forward to today, there's hardly an aspect of life that escaped the impact of the global pandemic and notably the move towards digital adoption. Yet a large portion of financial infrastructure is still built on COBOL. How long will it take for traditional banks to fully make the move to the cloud and blockchain-based platforms? Well, um, you know, there's a continuum, of course. Yeah, you have certain firms that are trying to move as fast as they can, and then you have others that are just slower. The weight of history is very large. My pitch to these institutions is Paxos is here to help you. And you shouldn't be afraid of this unless you don't adopt it because it's going to happen. It's going to change. You can see what that system will look like because the crypto ecosystem is rapidly innovating and developing new ways of creating lending and borrowing, trading, um, community, uh, holding assets, um, doing it in a programmatic way, in an always-on fashion, 24-7. How do you make sure that you're offering those types of products to your customers? And do you have a path to get there? Because that's a non-linear shift. And so it can't just be, you know, kind of following the standard path that we're on. You have to move onto a whole different forward curve. And there, I think there are, um, as I mentioned, there's this continuum of firms who understand that. And it's not easy to uh, have large organizations uh, take in that type of shift, um, internalize it, and react to it in a way that uh, gets them the right result. But they will. Absolutely, some firms will. And I think some firms might not, um, because uh, these types of changes are, are not easy to execute. But on the other hand, all of those firms have the end customer today. All the end customers, all the end retail consumers, all the end businesses, all the end institutions, they have relationships with banks and brokers today. And it'll just be about, can you maintain your relevance for them as a customer or not? And this is not going to happen overnight because people's behavior doesn't change overnight. Still, the, the community of people who are using these products is still relatively small. You know, it's not insignificant, but it's still relatively small, five or 10% of the population. And they're really holding it as an asset. They're not using, you know, um, uh, they're not really using it in a way that's changed their financial lives yet. But you can imagine that will be the case in, over the next five or 10 years. Um, you naturally have all of um, the millennials and, uh, and the Gen Zs that are coming up and they're used to having a life through their phone. They're not going to go into a branch. They are probably not going to use physical currency. Um, they're going to feel very comfortable in a purely online world. How can you maintain relevance when that is what your customer base looks more and more like? For major financial institutions, the move to blockchain platforms is a huge shift. And many will decide to allocate precious build resources towards working with a specialized crypto brokerage like Paxos. But how should a financial giant approach introducing their customer base 
to a third-party provider? Well, I think they should look at it through a spirit of partnership and, um, and specialization and the fact that um, as an infrastructure provider, and only an infrastructure provider. It's not a hobby for us. It's not something we're doing in addition to our uh, other uh, customers. And that's a good thing because not only is it not a hobby, it means that we're not a competitor. And that means we can be a partner. And our goal is to be the best possible partner because our vision, if we're successful, is that we have replatformed the financial system. And the mission of the company is to enable the uh, movement of any asset at any time in a trustworthy way. To achieve that, you have to do it uh, by creating a win-win for everybody. And that's what I think we're very capable of doing. We've shown it with uh, customers today like PayPal and Venmo and Revolut, and we'll, we'll be showing that with others. Uh, we have across the firm, a wide range of different companies that use us from Credit Suisse and SockGen and Bank of America and Instanet. You know, just a, a large number of different firms that recognize the value of using a specialist to help them be able to create new types of products and to help them upgrade the current products that they have. And that's what we're here to do. We do it in an API-based way. It makes a turnkey solution. It's highly regulated. We've raised a significant amount of capital, uh, $540 million. We have independent board of directors. All of these things are done um, to make sure that our customers, our regulators, um, our shareholders, our employees, everyone can have the confidence that we're going to be around as a partner to help them succeed. Paxos is building modern infrastructure to help banks transition into the crypto era. But it's not just the banks that are evolving. Consumers are as well. They're the other side of this equation. Cascarilla believes everyone will have a digital wallet in as early as 18 months. You have access to basically all the information in the history of the world at the touch of your finger. Uh, what an unbelievable shift in how information is able to move. And financial information is just information. It's very valuable. It might be regulated, but it's just information like anything else. And there is going to be an expectation that your financial information should be able to move just as fast as anything else does. And so um, I think it'll be really clear that in a blockchain environment, one of the powerful aspects of what happens is that anybody can be a part of that system simply because they have a phone or some an internet access or a computer and internet access. And that's really huge. You don't need to have a bank account. Uh, you might want a bank account. You might want a service provider in this blockchain world, but you don't need to have one. You just have to download a wallet from an app store. And then you can suddenly hold a stable coin in there or crypto in there uh, or gold or whatever it might be. And you now have a way of being able to hold and move assets that does not require an intermediary. And today, one of the biggest things that holds back uh, participation in the financial system is how costly it is to be in the lower end of society as an unbanked or underbanked person, even in the United States today. 26% of the population is unbanked or underbanked, adults. That's um, almost mind-boggling. And we're a first world country. Just imagine it's billions of people globally. And having a phone, having internet access will allow you to be able to have a wallet that isn't tied only to a financial institu institution that onboards you. And it's not going to then uh, create the high fees and high costs for you to be able to move your assets around the world, which is how it works today. Big, big shifts. 
and profound ones for society and for the way in which people are able to have control of their financial lives. This concludes the first episode in a podcast series we're running with Paxos. To access the transcript of this podcast and to hear upcoming episodes in the series, head on over to the Tearsheet website.